Reformed Presbyterian uh, Pulpit Supplemental, because that's really all this is, is a supplemental to the pulpit. Uh, It's just another way to get um, teaching out there that I think is sound and biblical, and um, gotten a lot of emails lately from folks uh, just that listen on YouTube or on Sermon Audio, and just so encouraging. Um, You know, I get emails from folks on a regular basis that uh, that say things like, I never really understood the gospel until I started listening to you. And it's not because I'm special or anything. I always just try to let, let those folks know. Um, I'm just teaching the Bible and trying to be clear about, you know, what is faith? You know, faith isn't works. Uh, faith is laying hold of Jesus. Faith is trusting in the finished work of someone else. It's not our fidelity. It's not our loyalty, our works, our covenant, anything. It's simply looking to Christ alone. And uh, the Christian life is a struggle. And we all uh, go through difficult things. Um, and God is, is gracious and merciful. And the freeness of God's grace is what the world needs. It needs to understand that. It needs to understand that the law of God cannot help you uh, get to heaven. Uh, the law inflicts God's curse uh, upon all who seek to be right with God by it. And that would include that would include um, those who think that faith in Jesus Christ means loyalty to Christ. That's not what faith is. And such a person uh, is severed from Christ and doesn't know him. Um, a person who truly believes the gospel is trusting only in what Christ has done and nothing else, and they understand that faith in Jesus Christ is simply uh, relying upon his perfect righteousness to get you all the way past the final judgment into heaven. That's the gospel, and that's the good news, and that's what the world needs, and that's the one thing the church seems determined uh, to confuse and muddy and get wrong and weird and not focus on and it's a sad thing. It's a, it's a sad, we live in sad times, and there's a, an incredible amount of darkness uh, today, and there's just no need for it. There's no need for the darkness. We have the Word of God. We have Scripture. We have the, the beautiful clarity of the gospel of a free and full justification uh, by faith alone and Christ alone, because it's Christ's righteousness alone that saves us. Faith simply is looking to Him. It's just relying upon Him and not working or doing anything And we bear the fruit of loyalty to Christ. We bear the fruit of fidelity to Christ. And uh, those are the fruits and evidences of true faith. They are not what faith is. And uh, there are many today who make that confusion, unfortunately, and it uh, it devastates people. Uh, There was a fellow that actually uh, called me. uh, See, it's been two Wednesdays ago. I think it was two Wednesdays ago. And he was a... (laughs) Had actually been a member of Steve Schlissel's church in uh, New York. And I thought, oh, good grief. And this, this poor fellow had just been just devastated, just savaged by that false teaching that, you know, faith is obedience and faith, faith is faithfulness and, and all that stuff. And so he sent me some papers that he wrote. I haven't had time to really read them yet. Um, but it was good to talk to him and to encourage him on how, how to share the gospel with people. And don't worry about being accused of being an antinomian. Paul was accused of being an antinomian. And you respond to that accusation the way the scriptures do, not the way that Schlossel would. You don't say, no, you get into heaven by your obedience. And faith faith is obedience to the law of God. No, you, you answer the question, the accusation of uh, antinomianism, that you don't care about righteousness or living a godly life, the way that Paul did. 
by uh, pointing out that we are regenerated, that we are born again, that we are broken from the slavery to sin, um, and the captives are, um, are set free uh, from that slavery. And that's the response. And the fruit, the fruit of good works and fidelity, loyalty to Christ and the, the change of heart, the fruit that grows on the tree does not make the tree the kind of tree it is. When you see a tree that bears apple trees, what do you know? You don't look at it and go, boy, it's really, it's really doing some good effort to, to become an apple tree. No, it has apples on it because it already is an apple tree. When you see someone and they live a life of godliness and good works and, and they profess to have faith in Christ alone for their salvation, uh, you can know that's a Christian. You see the fruit growing on the tree. That's what James chapter 2 is talking about. James chapter 2 is saying a profession of faith Um, if it's not accompanied by works, is not justified by that. A man is not justified by uh, faith alone, by making a profession of faith. He's justified by his works in saying he has faith. That's what the whole text is about. And it's just, it's so frustrating to hear James chapter 2, a wonderful passage of scripture, is just regularly butchered and massacred uh, by people that are trying to find ways of destroying Christian assurance and destroying the gospel by adding human works to it. So today I want to press on, man, that, that opening uh, little salvo there. Uh, Galatians chapter 5 is where we are today. And I want to press on because this is the message of God. And this is the message of reconciliation. This is the message of salvation that the church needs to uphold in a clear and forceful manner to the world, refuting all error uh, and making sure that, that we defend the all-sufficiency of the work of Christ and that we defend how sinners appropriate the work of Christ. And they appropriate the work of Christ and become beneficiaries of God's covenant of grace, not by working for it, not by trying to be loyal to Jesus, not by their faithfulness, but by simply looking to Christ alone. That's how we're made right with God. Oh, but you're just saying you can do whatever you want. No, may it never be. How shall we who died to sin live in it any longer? And that's an argument I've had to make probably thousands and thousands of times um, in my life in ministry through the years, and I suspect uh, I'll be making it until I die, and pointing out that no, we're not saying you can just live like the devil and still go to heaven, as Paul was accused constantly. Um, and it, I, one thing I've met, one point that I have made over the years is that neonomians and federal vision proponents and people that push um, that faith is faithfulness and faith is loyalty to Jesus and faith is works and obedience and things like that. Those individuals that say that will never be accused the way that Paul was. People heard Paul's message. They heard the freeness of justification by faith alone, by trusting in Christ alone, and said, well, you're just saying we can sin so that grace can abound. Uh, Federal vision proponents and others that are neonomian will never have that charge brought against them. Never. Because they don't preach the true gospel. If you preach... You're justified by loyalty to Christ. That's, that's the theology of the natural man. That's what everyone, that's what pagans on the street already believe anyway. You know, the, this idea that, well, God uses a soft judgment for how we get into heaven. That's the theology of the natural man. That's what unbelievers already think. And that's not the truth. All right, Galatians chapter 5. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Wow, what a great passage. What does he mean? Don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. He means don't let anyone, don't let anyone add anything to simple trust in Jesus 
as the means of justification before God. If you allow people to fold works, loyalty, fidelity, faithfulness, obedience into the essence of faith, you are subject to a yoke of bondage. You have been entangled in a yoke of bondage and you're not standing fast in the liberty by which Christ made us free. Paul goes on in verse 2. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. What does he mean by that? If these Judaizing Galatian teachers, if they could get people to believe, yeah, you need, you need Jesus, you believe in Jesus, and you trust in circumcision too, Paul says, if you do that, Christ will be of no benefit to you. If you add anything to him, if you add anything to his righteousness as being the thing you're relying on to get you into heaven, Christ is out of the picture. Because the moment you fold our loyalty, our obedience, our, our works into the definition of what faith is, you have said what Christ has done isn't enough. What he did isn't going to work without my personal contribution. And that's not the gospel. That's not Christianity. If you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. The moment you are relying upon yourself, your faithfulness, your covenant loyalty, your, your uh, faithfulness, your loyalty, your works, your obedience, anything done in you or by you, in addition to trusting in Christ, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Coming to God means you come on his terms, and that means you throw away your confidence in everything except the finished work of Jesus Christ. And as I've said many times, that is why salvation is certain. When Paul wrote Romans 4, 15 and 16, for the law brings about wrath. The law brings about wrath. Therefore, justification is by faith, so that it would be by grace. It's not by works, it's not by doing or anything of the kind, not by our loyalty, our faithfulness, our works, our obedience. It's by faith, not by works, so that it would be by grace. So that the promise would be sure. So that our salvation would be sure. So that getting into heaven after death would be certain. Because if justification before God, if getting into heaven depends in some way, even in the smallest, tiniest little way, upon our loyalty to Christ, our fidelity to Christ, our works of obedience, this would never be certain then, would it? You'd always be wondering, have I been faithful enough? Has my covenant faithfulness, is it going to pass muster? Have I been loyal enough to Christ? True faith that's divinely given rests upon the finished work of another, of Jesus. And that's where it always rests, from the beginning to the end. That's why Paul says it is by faith from first to last. It just says from faith to faith. Starts by faith and doesn't end with works or faithfulness, fidelity, loyalty, obedience. It's by faith from first to last. By faith, from faith to faith. If it is by faith from first to last, it is by faith alone. Because only Christ's righteousness, only Jesus' personal righteousness has what it takes to withstand the judgment of the Holy Almighty Creator. And if you die trusting that your circumcision or your faithfulness or your works or your obedience or your putting sin to death or your pursuit of holiness is going to finally save you, you're not going to be saved. 
We only come to God on God's terms. That's why Paul, that's not just me being radical or weird or being rigid. Paul says, if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Christ will be of no benefit to you. As soon as you add anything to him, anything to him, as what's going to get you into heaven, he's not going to get you into heaven. Because you have insulted him. You have said what he did is not enough. And so, as I, you know... (laughs) visit folks and um, talk to people and have uh, seen a lot of people die now. You call them to rest upon the finished work of Christ. It is finished. Your covenant loyalty is not going to play any role at all. None whatsoever. Hi, ya dad. That's Lily, isn't it? <laughs> hey, Lily. It's my One of my kiddos is, is there. Good. Good. Listen closely, Lily. This is important stuff. Okay, and I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. And why does Paul say that? What he's saying is, as soon as you take one step in the direction of works righteousness, in whatever nuanced way you do it, if you do that, Christ is of no benefit to you, and you are obliged to keep the whole law by yourself. In other words, you're going to hell. Becoming a Christian means you're trusting in the finished, perfect, all-sufficient work of Christ. And any teaching, any teaching that inserts the loyalty, works, obedience, sanctification, transformation, fidelity, loyalty, or whatever of the sinner as decisive in that equation is fatal to the gospel and is an insult to Christ. This guy, that fellow... um, he was thanking me for my videos, but he's like, man, sometimes you look like your eyes are about to pop out of your head. And you get really fired up. I, I do. I think Paul was fired up. I think Paul wrote this entire letter through gnashed teeth. I think he was very upset at them. He calls them stupid in Galatians 3.1. You stupid Galatians. You morons. What's wrong with you? Why did you? I didn't preach Jesus plus anything. I taught you that Christ alone does it all. So why, why are you okay with adding works or covenant faithfulness or whatever you want to, you're thinking of? Why are you adding this stuff to faith in Christ as the thing that's going to save you? What is faith? Faith is not faithfulness. What is faith? It's not fidelity. It's not loyalty. Faith simply rests on Christ. Faith is trusting that what Jesus did will get me into heaven. And that's all faith is. Knowing who he is, knowledge, assenting, to believing, believing that he did what he did, and then trusting that he did it for you. Knowledge, assent, and trust. That's it. That's all faith is. It's not working. It's not obeying. It's not obedience. It's not transformation. It's not sanctification. It's not loyalty. It's not fidelity. It's not faithfulness. It is looking to Christ and trusting only in him from the start to the end, from beginning to end. It's Christ alone. I told my uh, one of my sons today as I was heading out to go do a, a, a graveside service. Um, I told him, son, I want you to know something. You're going to see me dead someday, probably. Probably. You will see me laying there dead. And I want you to know that I died trusting only in Christ. Did God do a lot of work in my life? Oh, yeah. Did he sanctify me? Yeah. Did God free me from slavery to sin? Yes. Did he bear a lot of fruit in my life? Praise God. Yes, he did. Did he increase my loyalty, my faithfulness to Christ? Yes. 
is that what justified me before God? Or was that part of the definition of faith? No. When I die, I'm going to be thinking, Christ's righteousness is all I have. Christ's righteousness will get me past the final judgment because only his righteousness is perfect. And even the best things I've ever done are stained with so much sin that they could function to be the grounds of my damnation. It is Christ alone. I'm trusting only in him. That's what faith is. Faith is relying upon the blood and righteousness of Jesus to save you. Faith is not faithfulness. Faith is not works. Faith is not obedience. It is not fidelity. It is trusting in the work of someone else to save you. And that's all it is. And the fruit that accompanies it is not part of what faith is. It's the fruit that grows on the tree. And you see an apple tree bearing apples? It's because it's already an apple tree. Apple trees don't, you know, grunt real hard and I'm going to start bearing oranges now. And, oh, those apples are like, they sort of had little shades of orange in them. And he's on his way to becoming an orange tree. That's not the way it works. The fruit that grows on the person just tells you whether they're a Christian or not. Whether they're a godly person or ungodly. They're either a heap of chaff or they're a fruit-bearing tree. But the fruit that grows on the tree is not what justifies us. And the fruit that grows on the tree is no part of what saving faith is. It's no part of what saving faith is. It is only fruit and evidence. And faith is not organically connected to fruit and evidence. It's not organically connected to fruit and evidence. That is a gross misunderstanding of what faith is. Okay, listen to uh, the Westminster Larger Catechism, question 73. How does faith justify a sinner in the sight of God? Listen closely to this. This is such a glorious answer. Faith justifies a sinner in the sight of God, not because of those other graces which do always accompany it. Goodbye, federal vision. Goodbye, all definitions of faith that include our faithfulness, our loyalty, our, our fidelity to Christ. Faith justifies us in the sight of God, not because of the other graces which always accompany it, or of good works that are the fruits of it. Not as if the grace of faith or any act thereof were imputed to him for his justification. That's a shot at the Arminians. But only as it is an instrument by which he receives and applies Christ and his righteousness. Faith looks to Christ. Period. And that's all it does. Justifying faith is a saving grace wrought in the heart of a sinner by the Spirit of God, the Spirit and Word of God, whereby he, being convinced of his sin and misery and of the disability in himself and all other creatures to recover him out of the, his lost condition, not only assenteth to the truth of the promise of the gospel, but receives and rests upon Christ in his righteousness. What, what about our faithfulness? It's not there. It's not part of the definition. What about our fidelity to Christ? It's not part of the definition. What about our covenant loyalty? What about our covenant faithfulness? It's not what faith is. Faith assents to the truth of the gospel, but not only assents to it, believes it's true, but receives and rests upon it, trusts in it. Trusts that what Christ did, he did for me, personally. And his righteousness is on my account. That Christ's cross pardons me of all my sins, having satisfied the justice of God against me. And for the accepting and accounting of his person, righteous in the sight of God for salvation. That's what faith is. It's not loyalty, it's not fidelity. It's not faithfulness. It's not any quality in us. It's simply an instrument by which we lay hold of Christ. Period. And that's just, man, we're only on verse uh, 3. 
If you get circumcised, if you add anything to the finished work of Christ as part of the definition of faith, if you try to fold works into your definition of faith, Christ will be of no benefit to you, and you are a debtor to keep the whole law. Since Christ isn't going to help you, you get to keep the law all by yourself. To be a Christian, you either trust that Christ does it all, or he is of no benefit to you. If you try to say Christ plus my fidelity, my faithfulness, my works, my whatever, Christ isn't going to be in the equation then. Christ won't save you then. And, and, you are estranged from Christ. You are estranged from Christ. Verse 4, you have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law. Let, let me translate that to other modern heresies. You who attempt, you who believe that faith in Jesus means faithfulness to Jesus. You who believe that faith in Jesus means loyalty to Jesus. You're severed from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by your faithfulness, you have fallen from grace. You who attempt to be justified by your covenant fidelity, being faithful to the covenant, you have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ, neither uh, Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. That's such a such a great way of putting that. Faith working through love. Now people say, see, 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 faith, faith works. Yeah, justification by a faith that works, that results in works, is not the same as justification by faith and works. Faith working through love. It, justification by a faith that works through love is not the same as justification by faith and working through love. Which faith is not does not justify us because of the good works and the fruits that accompany it. Faith works through love. It, it is accompanied by works of love. It doesn't mean we're saved by works of love. And in fact, if you do think that that's what it is, you are. Christ would be of no benefit to you, and you're a debtor to keep the whole law. And you're estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, which is what works of love would be. Works of law-keeping. And Paul says here, listen to this. He says, <clears throat> you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? <laughs> He's like, you guys were doing fine. What happened? All of a sudden, you're selling out the gospel. All of a sudden, you're just throwing away the truth of the gospel. Why? You ran well. This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. He's saying, this isn't coming from Jesus. It's not coming from me. It's not coming from God. And then he says, verse 9, boy, if this isn't a verse for the ages, listen, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Really, just a little error in your understanding of what faith is and what your understanding of justification is? Just a little leaven will leaven the whole lump? Oh, yeah, it will. It will. A little compromise on the gospel, a little misunderstanding of what faith is, destroys everything. Paul says in verse 10, I have confidence in you and the Lord that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And I mean, he's saying, whoever's doing this, whoever's teaching you this stuff, God's going to judge that person. God's going to get them. Verse 11 this is another, just such an important verse of God's word. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? 
then the offense, the, the scandalon is the Greek word there, the scandal of the cross has ceased. If I preached that you get into heaven by faithfulness, no one would persecute me. Because everyone already believes that anyway. The people out there in the world that he went out and preached to, they, they all thought, well, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty good. I think God will use a softer judgment on us. and God's a loving father. Paul says, if I, if I preached that, why, why would I suffer persecution? Paul is persecuted. We are persecuted because we refuse to compromise on this issue and because we preach the freeness of God's grace. He says, then the offense of the cross has ceased. As soon as you give away the gospel, as soon as you fold works into your definition of what faith is and how we're justified, as soon as you get works, the human subjective transformation, as soon as you get that into the equation somewhere, the offense of the cross has ceased. Why is the cross an offense? Why is it a scandalon? The term is used there. Because it is a testimony from God Almighty to the utter helplessness of man to contribute anything to his salvation. That offends people. Why do you think the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the lawyers and, and the, the chief priests and elders, why did they have such a problem with the gospel when the apostles went out and preached it? They had too much invested in their works righteousness, in their faithfulness. They had too much, they had piled up so much stuff they were trusting in, man, to repudiate that whole thing. They just couldn't do it. That's why it takes a supernatural work of God. Paul did. Paul was just like him. He was, he was a Pharisee who had a big, huge pile of stuff that he was trusting in. He was trusting in his own faithfulness, his own fidelity, his own works, his own pedigree, his own obedience to the law until he saw Christ and saw the righteousness of Jesus. And then all of a sudden, everything that was gained to him, he considered loss. Indeed, he says, I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. The term there, scubalon, scubala, dung, excrement, something worthy only to be thrown away because it's useless, it's worthless, it's garbage. Paul's like, if I went out and preached what you guys believe, faith in Jesus is wonderful, but you got to supplement it with your works, your faithfulness, your fidelity, your this, your that. No one would persecute me because everybody already believes in works righteousness. We are born Pelagians to the core. We're already born with a, with a nature that tells us, no, you're so good and you can do this and you can do that. And Paul is saying, if I preached that, no one would persecute me. And the offense of the cross has ceased. The cross is an offense. And those who preach it are an offense. The book of 2 Corinthians says, to those that are perishing, you smell like death to them. You stink to them. But to those who are being saved, the cross of Christ and the message of a free justification by belief alone, by trusting in Christ alone, is the fragrance of life. Glorious stuff. And Paul says, and here's my life verse, <laughs> Galatians 5.12, I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. That's not very sweet. The term there means to make someone a eunuch. It means to emasculate someone. You guys like circumcision? Well, I hope the knife slips. And you cut yourselves off completely. I hope you guys become eunuchs. Man, Paul needs to, um, he needs an anger management therapist. He needs to go talk to Jack Nicholson. Verse 13, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. You've been called to be free. 
Don't let people mess up the gospel like this. Don't let people insert works into the equation by folding it into their definition of what faith is. Especially when Paul says again and again, it's by faith and not by works. By faith apart from works. By faith apart from obedience. Not by deeds of righteousness we have done. By faith apart from works. By, by the observance of law, no flesh shall be justified. The law brings about wrath. It's by faith so it can be by grace. Don't let people put works or fidelity or faithfulness or anything like that into their definition of faith. Faith simply looks away from faithfulness, works, obedience to Christ. And that's all faith looks to, is Christ. Christ alone. Faith alone. Christ alone. You've been called to liberty, only don't use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. There it is again. People will say, well, if it's just, if it's just believing that Christ has done it all for us, well, then we can just indulge the flesh. And Paul, here, just like he does in Romans, don't use that as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh, the sinful nature that's still in us, lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. And by spirit there, he means the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who dwells within us is in conflict with the sinful nature that still remains, that principle of rebellion and lawlessness that's still very much alive in us. Then he says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Really what we have here is just a much much more condensed version of what's in Romans. Romans 7, I mean, you get Romans 6, actually really Romans 3, 4, and 5 are the opening verses of chapter 5. And then you get Romans 6, 7 um, there in, chapter, in verses uh, 13 through 18. And then he goes on, verse 19. This is a really important section too. Now the works of the flesh are evident. The works of our sinful nature are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. Isn't that interesting? The first four are like sexual in nature. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. Like the, the battle that goes on in our minds and hearts for sexual purity. It's a, it's a real problem, but it's a, a battle we have to stand our ground and fight against all the time idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. That's a pretty impressive list of sins there. And all that's still in our hearts, even as Christians? Yep. All that's still there, and that's why we have to work hard to mortify it, to put it to death. And you got to roll your sleeves up and, and get your hands dirty and fight that fight and be accountable and be, be disciplined in li listening to the word of God and reading the word of God and filling your mind with good things. And then verse 22, the passage everybody memorized as a kid. Really, you should memorize verse the, the sin list before you get to the fruits of the Spirit. But always think of it like this. The fruits of the Spirit, these are not imperatives. It's not like God is saying, you better have love, joy, peace, pa or peace long-suffering, kindness. You better have all that. What he's saying is this: these are the byproduct of the presence of the Holy Spirit in someone's life. This is the fruit that the Holy Spirit bears in a person's life. It's, it's the byproduct of him being within us. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. Now, we could talk about each and every one of those because they're all important. Uh, one, one application of this, uh, this section of Scripture, verse 19 through uh, 23 that I made recently in a kind of a short mini series. I think it was four sermons or maybe five. 
um, on a God-centered marriage. Just encourage people to remember, if you're married or you, or you might be married one day, um, that the purpose of marriage, one of its purposes, is to bear more of these fruits in your life. That's why you marry in the Lord. you got to marry a Christian. Uh, because being married to a believer, you have the grace of God in common. You pray together. You seek God together. You pray as one before God. You, go, you attend church together. You study the word of God together. You worship together. You will see these fruits grow far more than they would have grown if you had been by yourself. And so one of the primary purposes of marriage is to increase your patience and things like that. And I know some married people are like, well, evidently God wants me to be the most patient person in the history of time because of the person I'm married with, married to. Um, yeah, well, maybe he does. Maybe you're going to be the most patient person ever. Um, so just remember that. This is, this is what the Spirit is doing uh, in your life um, and is going to use your, your marriage as a tool to do it, to help bring forth these fruits. In verse 24, and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. There's a great verse right there. If you belong to Jesus, you've crucified that sinful nature that bears all that gross stuff, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, sorcery, hatred, lewdness, jealousies, dissension, murder. Those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That sin nature with its passions and desires, you're going to do battle with it, constantly trying to, to nail it to the cross and to, to keep it from trying to, to rear its head and to get back on the throne. And that, that old man that, that was crucified with Christ, yes, we died with Christ, so we, we are to reckon ourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Nevertheless, there's this sinful principle, this sinful rebellion that's still there, that plagues us constantly. He says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. What a great chapter. You gotta love, I'm so thankful um, for really good Christian teachers and theologians and authors that, that are really good expositors of scripture. Um, but again and again, you gotta go back to the source. You gotta go to the word of God yourself and you gotta look at it and read it and um, digest it and meditate on it and let it let it just permeate your thoughts. And if I have my way, if I could have a wish I would wish and hope and pray that every Christian would just have a Romans and Galatians revolution and just read and reread those two letters until they just form the fabric of your brain where you're just always thinking about those great promises. You know, I read uh, a number of promises from Romans at the uh, graveside service today and our dear departed sister in the Lord who is with Jesus now told me her, her uh, favorite book of the Bible was Romans. And she described it as poetic and beautiful. And it was so incredible, just encouraging to read all those passages from Romans. I am convinced, I am persuaded, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor any other thing in all of creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's security. And why could Paul say that? Because he knew what faith was. Faith in Christ Faith in Christ is receiving and resting on Jesus, trusting that his righteousness will get the job done, that his cross work fully pardons us for all of our sins and satisfies divine justice. Faith is resting on the finished work of Christ. And that's all faith is. The scripture says we're justified by faith. That's all that it is. Okay. 
Well, I've still got a few other things I need to get done here today. Hopefully the sound was, was good. I didn't actually check which microphone this was pointed at. And I know last time it was, it wasn't very clear, but hopefully, hopefully you got, y'all can hear me, but I also recorded this program on my phone. Uh, so if the, if the audio is ever weird on YouTube, uh, you can hear the same programs on our sermon audio feed. I uh, also want to let folks know, uh, that I've got, um, four Kindle books out there now. I've been editing my sermons, expanding them a little bit, trying to like, you know, edit them and get, make them readable and, and, um, for publication. So there's four of them. I'll put a little link here in the, uh, little chat thing over there. Hopefully that will, that will work. Uh, but I'll also put a, a link to all of, uh, the Kindle books. There's four of them I've got, and they're only a, a buck 99 a piece. Um, but they're out there and I've already gotten some good feedback. A number of folks have, have picked these up and have read them. Um, they're just sermons that I edited and, and made, uh, put them in book format. So I'll put that in the description. Y'all can check those out. And uh, love y'all. It's good to see everyone over there in the in the uh, little chat room there. Sorry that t- today was off a little bit, but I'm going to start trying to do a little more regular stuff. And I'm also going to be live streaming from my brother's uh, much larger channel, the Christian Sermons and Audio Books channel, uh, my brother Richard from over there. He's been just a huge encouragement to me. I really love the guy. Uh, But anyway, so with that, I thank you all for watching or for listening. This is Pastor Patrick Hines of Bridwell Heights Presbyterian Church in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can visit us on the web at bridwellheightschurch.com, where all the sermons and podcasts are put into our sermon audio feed, which is accessible in iTunes as well as the podcast app. You are welcome to join us any Sunday morning for Sunday school for all ages at 10 a.m. and then worship for everyone at 11 a.m. If you ever have any questions about the Christian faith or the Bible, you can email me at pastor at bridwellheightschurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.